Hello and welcome to the Alien Minute Podcast, the daily podcast where we carefully discuss the movie Alien one minute at a time. I'm Mitch Bryan. And I'm John Engel. And this is minute number 27. Uh, minute 27 begins with a tighter shot of the derelict spacecraft and ends with a creepy corridor. And today uh, we once again have Pete the Retailer. Uh, how are you doing today, Pete? I'm good. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for coming back. So minute 27, Mitch. Uh, well, this is... I think one of the most incredible shots in the whole movie, it, it's a totally different ship reveal. And we still, as Pete was saying yesterday, we may not even know it's a ship, but it's this clear shot of this, these two things extending out like a pair of arms or a pair of legs or a pair of limbs. I'm not exactly sure what. Uh, and this sort of creeping zoom that's moving in on the image. And it's... Because we don't have any real perspective, it just seems gigantic to me. Yeah. And the crew, once again, we get the three points of light representing the crew walking towards, walking between these two limbs um, as we're looking at the spacecraft. And it's kind of difficult not to read something into this. Um, I think there's a shot later that we can come back to this, but... Pete, have, uh, did you get? Did you read anything out of this other than just a spacecraft uh, crashed in the surface of a planet? Uh, well, now I, you know, obviously get a little bit more out of it. But at the time, you know, I, I like I said, I think I thought it was some kind of weird formation, or or you know, might not have even thought of it at all because, um, you know, the the as beautiful as they are, the the backgrounds and the design kind of tends to be very kind of monochrome, and and you know, it's absolutely intentional, but it also um, you know, uh, a, like I said, a rental VHS tape is probably not the, the way it was meant to be seen, you know, and pan and scan kind of, uh, you know, rewound a million times. Well, the next two shots aren't giving you any help either, because I think it repeats the same pattern from the first minute, which is a big, a wide shot, a video screen transmission. And then we go to Ash looking at something, but we don't know what you're looking at. So we're still in the state of kind of confusion and tension, which I think is what the director is up to. And that definitely puts us in the shoes of the crew as they're walking. Like, they're, everybody is as confused as anybody. Nobody knows anything more about this than anybody else. And we should feel the same way as the audience. We should definitely not be ahead of them or uh, the tension won't be there. But I do think this next shot finally helps us out because we're closer now to the thing. Right. You can see the three astronauts away team, explorers, whatever you want to call them, moving towards these two big portals. They look like, you know, they're either, they're either windows or they're entrances into the ship. And now I think I can start to, but you're, it still may be a cave. You, it right. may not be a spaceship. It may still be something quasi-organic or, or made by somebody else. But at least our people are getting closer to it and we're starting to get a sense of the real scale of the thing. Yeah. Yeah. This, I mean, there's a, um, between this and there's the, the very similar kind of, uh, scene in aliens where they first discover the kind of, uh, you know, the alien infestation, um, with the kind of, you know, you get the, the helmet cam and the guy in the back, you know, the guy at the control center kind of overseeing it all. And I, I always thought that that would make a really good, uh, for a, for like a multiplayer video game, usually if they if they you know like uh, any of those types of shooter games or or you know explore kind of co op exploratory whatever games like 
everybody just is their own person, but you, I think it would be neat to have somebody be that guy in the control center like have somebody be Ash here or, or, or Gorman. Uh, somebody to watch your back, basically. Yeah, but just somebody kind of who has, you know, a little overview of the whole thing and can be able to tell you, okay, hey, go, can you go left? Like, and sees where you are and has that, uh, uh, might not be uh, as as much of a tactical advantage as it is a fun thing. I just think it would be neat to have that kind of, you know, wrinkle in the collaboration, but it definitely, you know, this scene and the similar one in Aliens just totally reminds me of that. And I'm not sure whether this is the three kids as well, because I know they put three kids into spacesuits for the space jockey reveal but i was watching them move over the rocks and i think they might be kids yeah yeah there's a few times in these wider shots of the uh the planet's surface where the movement does look pretty childlike uh in the suits but i think they were going to do anything they could to to build scale um you know you build these giant sets might as well make them look even bigger so i think that i'm pretty sure these are the kids too it's a brilliant mm-hmm. sleight of hand move. I mean, I just, I always will go for a practical effect over a computer effect anytime. And so the fact that they were thinking, this is a way we can do it. We can fool the audience. They'll think they're seeing one thing, but they're actually seeing something else is just great. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit like the stuff, the, some of the stuff that they did for, uh, you know, like the Lord of the Rings movies where they just kind of played with scale and force perspective to kind of generate some of the illusions that, um, you know, most people would assume was just done in a computer, but they would just build a weird kind of, uh, you know, playing with the camera lens to make it just look smaller than it is. You know, it's better for the actors. It's better for, I think it's better for everybody. There's something you can sense when somebody's really there. Right. I think we've all concluded, you know, in our discussions of the practical effects that, we like to know something is real. That's something tactile, not a manipulated image. Um, you know, a, a digital image, something that's just not there at all. You know, I alluded in a second ago that um, the shape of the ship and then the entrances to the ship, they allude to something. I hate to talk about this so quickly on the tales of talking about children. But <laughs> undoubtedly, this is classic H.R. Giger you know, sexual metaphor. I mean, we're definitely walking between a, a pair of legs and walking into an orifice. And um, I really think this speaks a lot to to one of the overall themes of the movie. I think there's a lot of sexual invasion that goes on in this movie. There's a lot of imagery and some of the resulting, uh, the demise of some of these characters that really plays into that metaphor it's actually something I didn't, th- this juxtaposition of shots between the, the limbs of the ship and the orifices, I didn't really put that together before I was looking at this single minute. But um, what do you, Mitch, what do you think they're saying here? By Well, I think the whole movie is working on this frequency of the uncanny. So it's all about finding things that look kind of like things we recognize, but not quite. I mean, it's an egg, but it doesn't look like any egg I've ever seen. Um so this whole biological, mechanical design is there to unnerve us and unsettle us. And, and you're right. It's, it's, it's biological invasion that ultimately happens in the movie. Yeah, and it is kind of, uh, you know, that, like you said, just kind of a, once you enter this, this uh, you know, organ and then inside is where they find the eggs, it's, it's, it's interesting on that level too but it's it's meant to be kind of vaguely uh just subliminal enough i think 
where you're feeling like, oh yeah, it makes sense that it's uh, like kind of, you know, uh, uh, sexual organic vibe maybe to it, that it's not, uh, you know, I mean, I get, you can go both ways on, on Giger. Some of it can be over the top, but it, this is, I think just enough that it's like, oh yeah, you get that vague feeling for it before you get in there and, and kind of, you know, see things. And of course it was so new at the time. That's the other thing we've, right. right. HR Giger has lost a lot of the shock, but it was really original, vital kind of strange art at the time. Yeah, they. Um, this movie is mainly credited for beginning the entire biomechanical, you know, aesthetic of, in art that people weren't really that familiar with it unless you were specifically familiar with Giger's work. And now you see it in all kinds of bad tattoos and uh, crappy <laughs> T-shirt design. You know, it's become so commonplace now. But yeah. at the time, I mean, when I first saw this movie, or really, I guess, the way they use it in Aliens, even the first time, it kind of grossed me out. It had an icky feel to me. And I think that's absolutely what they were going for. But, you know, it, it works perfectly. Like Pete, you said, you know, just he goes just far enough here to make it work, but doesn't go over the top. And I think that's the the nature of successful surrealism. You want to uh, you want to plant something real in people's minds. Um but yet have the absurd there, but you don't want to do too much of one or the other. So I think it works really well. And this might be the most surreal, like popular, like popcorn flick. I'm not sure. I could be wrong about that, but there's <laughs> probably more surrealism in this than any other, you know, summer blockbuster I can think of. Hmm. Yeah. I'm trying to think of anything, but this is, it is pretty good up there. Well, we go back to this static shot of Ash, this close-up where he's calling for Dallas and there's no response. And he begins to just sort of very coolly ponder what's going on, you know. And again, is he worried? Is he worried because the mission might fail? Is he worried because his friends might die? We don't know. But he's he's a pretty cool customer at this point. I kind of wonder if... In his programming, like speaking of him as an android, if in his program there's sort of like a greediness about completing the mission, like if this is like greedy anticipation, this is the mission, they're getting close now. He doesn't know exactly what they're going to find, but finding whatever it is is his sole mission. So I kind of wonder if part of his twitchy programming isn't that sense of anticipation and that he's not a little jittery because he's excited. Yeah. I think so. I, I mean, I, I started to read some of that into uh, R2-D2 in, in the first Star Wars movie when we were covering that, that like some of his, you know, we don't understand what he's saying, obviously. So it's not as, uh, it's a little more subliminal, a little more, uh, uh, not as overt as, as Ash here, but you know, some of R2-D2's kind of, kind of bubbly bells and whistles seem to be him getting excited about, you know, he's just got the mission in mind the whole time and, and, you know, everything else, everybody else that we, you know, him, any conversation that he has, anything that he does is kind of secondary and it's all about him kind of completing the mission. Well, we cut from this shot now into really, I suppose, the, the climax of this minute and the first big reveal of the inside of the ship with these dark walls looking like a rib cage and, um, and you've got, this claustrophobia as you're moving forward, you don't know whose point of view it is. You assume it's probably Dallas's point of view, but you don't know. Right. And it's one of these shots that seems to go on for an uncomfortably long time. Like something could jump out at you from the 
right side where you can't see what's there. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And even, you know, within this movie, within this franchise, they do that kind of thing, but not, uh, not here. So like, you're almost kind of expecting, I don't know, like it's weird because both before having seen it and after having seen it, you're kind of expecting it. Yeah, there's cheap tricks here, but they don't do it yet. They're really building the tension. Because when you do want to pull one of those tricks, you run the risk of exploding all the tension, and then you got to find a way to get it back. So it's really interesting how long they can sustain this tone of dread before something breaks it. Yeah, it seems, you know, we've been talking about this up to now a lot. It seems like they're they're constantly pulling back a little bit in places where they could throw something in the choice always seems to have been to wait and it's greatly to the benefit of this film and like you said pete there's times in the subsequent films where they don't wait at all i mean they get it right out of the way which i think maybe is appropriate for a movie like aliens that aliens isn't the same kind of movie it's an action adventure movie so uh it's a little bit more appropriate to have some of these jump scares early get people to understand what kind of movie they're working uh, they're watching right away but in this one, you're definitely supposed to be waiting and, and the tension's supposed to keep building. All right. Yeah. Does anybody have anything else for this minute? Not for me. No, that's pretty much it. All right. Well, that's going to do it for minute number 27. Uh, check us out at alienminute.com or follow us at, at alienminutepod on Twitter. Pete, where, they, where can they find you? I'm uh, on Twitter at Pete the Retailer and a handful of other things, but that's, uh, it, all, it all runs through there, I think. All right. Well, uh, thank you for listening to Minute Number 27. We'll see you tomorrow for Minute 28.